This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 14. Episode 10. This is Writing Excuses Magic Systems. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. Why are you laughing? And I'm Matab. <laughs> I'm laughing because she copied our vocal intonation. It was it was really funny. <laughs> um, that's okay. You know what I do when I'm traveling in a foreign country? Mm. I start to sound like them. And we are aliens. And welcome, Matab. Do you have any cool <laughs> alien powers? <laughs> well, one of my alien powers is to invent magic systems. Ooh, did that talk bring us about back that. on topic? Brandon? Yes, it did. Um, before we started this, Howard looked at me and said, Brandon, you're not going to just talk this whole time, are you? Um, <laughs> because you could. Um, and we decided That's probably together. probably what the listeners want. Uh, no, that um, Tough. We, I've written a bunch of essays on magic systems. We're not going to touch on the things in those essays because we've covered them in ep- episodes of Writing Excuses. I've talked about them at length. Um, instead, um, we're going to kind of talk to the side of them. So if you want to read those essays, Sanderson's Laws, you can go find them. You can read them. Instead, I want to ask, and I want to start with Mahatab. Um, how did you go about designing the magic in The Third Eye or in any of the stories you've worked on? Well, um, first of all, because I'm writing for middle grade, I do not need to have too many hard facts or uh, go at extreme length in terms of describing the system. I think you can, with with younger readers, you can get away with doing a softer magic system where, you know, so one of the influences that I had was uh, the Narnia series, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. That was one of my absolute favorite novels that I read. And things are not really explained, you know, when Aslan sacrifices himself uh, to save Edmund, and then, you know, he dies and he's on the stone table, which breaks and there is some deep magic, you know, related to Christianity and sacrifice. I didn't know on all of that. I, I, I totally didn't understand. But, I mean, I felt that wonder when he came back alive and, you know, the kids went back with him. So as far as mine, um, you know, when I was writing The Third Eye, I drew a lot on Indian mythology. So one of the the, uh, the main character, well, the main character is Tara, who's, who's a young child, but the main villain is Zarku, who is an evil character, and he hypnotizes people with his third eye, which I borrowed directly from the god Shiva, who has a third eye, except that Shiva uses it to... Um, you know, burn evil things, whereas I actually gave that quality to my evil protagonist who could hypnotize people and make them do things. And, you know, I had a couple of really gruesome scenes which kids kind of loved and the parents hated, which is fine by me as long as they picked up the book to read. You know what, that's the mark of a really good book for kids is (laughs) if the kids love it and their parents hate it. You've you've done you've I done know. society a great service. Thank you, and th- that's actually the one uh, book that won the Silver Birch, which is a reading program in Ontario, and you know it kind of kickstarted my career. So I was really happy about that. But so I drew a lot on Indian mythology, and even when Tara has to solve problems, you know she she prays to Lord Ganesh, and she has you know Lord Ganesh is supposed to have a helper in the form of a little mouse, and that is what comes to save her. So. My magic system was soft, but it was based a lot on drawing from Indian mythology and then kind of changing or crafting it to suit the story. It's worth pointing out that next week we're going to talk about magic without rules. Um, and so 
And that's uh, kind of what we mean by hard and soft. She right. was throwing those terms around. Um, if it has a lot of rules and is very crunchy, that's a hard. And if it's more freeform. Yeah, and there is sometimes this this sense, like when I start talking about these, people assume that I don't like soft magic systems, and you'll be disabused of that next week. I really <laughs> like a good soft magic system. Um, I like magic in all its different varieties and what it does in stories. So let's talk about building. You said you reached into uh, Indian mythology to to get a lot of your your ideas, and I do this too. A lot of my ideas for magic systems will come from something from mythology or something that, like, I love the idea of spontaneous genesis, right? That that things get, that they used to believe that frogs were born out of mud <laughs> because you always found frogs around mud. Like, that idea is so cool and so interesting. <laughs> and a lot of my magic systems are born out of me looking at back at some sort of folklore or myth and then saying, well, can I make that into a system? Yeah. One of the things that I have started to value more and more every time I try to write magic is the idea of wish fulfillment, that what readers are really looking for, even though they don't always admit this, especially adults, is magic that is fun that they would want to use. You know, I think that's one of the major Mm. reasons that Harry Potter has been so successful is because everybody wants to go to Hogwarts. Everybody wants to be using those cool spells. And so while there's certainly a place for magic that requires sacrifice or that causes pain or or something like that, I think there's a lot of aspirational gee whiz in fantasy where the reader wants to be able to go, oh, I want to ride a dragon. I want to, you know, use all these metals and then fly through the sky. I want to be able to do that. That looks awesome. You know, that comes into something I've been thinking about a lot lately, which is the draw of fantasy. What is it? And how is that maybe different from some other genres? And I hadn't even kind of put this together, but if you you look at like movies, some of the big ones, what is the difference between the superhero movies and Star Wars? And Star Wars is a lot more fantasy, right? Mm -hmm. Even though it's got science fiction trappings. Um, And you see with Star Wars, people they don't necessarily just dress up as the characters in the movies. They go get their own stormtrooper costume and become a stormtrooper and things like this. And I saw this a lot in the Wheel of Time fandom, that people didn't necessarily, when they would do costumes, not necessarily want to be one of the characters. Sometimes they would, but oftentimes they would want to put themselves into the setting um, and dress themselves like a character and come up with a persona from Mm -hmm. that world. And that's a very kind of distinct thing, I think, for fantasy. Yeah, it really is. It's it's a lot to also do with escapism. I mean, most people who read fantasy, they're just so bored with, well, bored or whatever. I mean, they, they just want to go into a whole new world, you know, be the characters, live with them, you know, experience totally new things that they wouldn't. And then they kind of come back to their lives. And for me, science fiction and fantasy is exactly that. Just mm. getting out into a different world, yet being able to identify identify with the problems, with the conflicts that the characters face so that, you know, there is there is something that I can feel. I mean, it should be something that's that I feel is relatable to me, but it's still, it's a whole new world. Well, and there's, uh, there's a flip side to that, which is the speculative fiction aspect of fantasy and science fiction. Um, and yeah, at risk of, you know, calling the elephant in the room an elephant, uh, Brandon's uh, Steelheart takes the social concept of absolute power corrupts absolutely and wraps that or maps that onto a superhero universe 
and asks us the question, and it's a socially important question, what happens if there are superpowers and absolute power corrupts absolutely? That question, whether or not there's escapism involved, it's a fascinating read for the social reasons. And I think that's kind of the other half of magic systems. We talk about wish fulfillment, we talk about escapism, but we also talk about how the ability to obey a different set of rules, a set of rules that are not the laws of physics as we understand them, but are themselves rules, Mm -hmm. um, how will that change us as people? If it doesn't change us as people, how will it change our relationships with other people? Um, That's... So that was, yeah. that was really yeah. deep and maybe way too crunchy. No, and that, that's something that a lot of urban fantasies in particular get into. Uh, the TV show called Lost Girl, uh, the Dresden Files series, they both get very heavily into that idea. And the magicians as well. If you have all of this power and can get away with stuff, you're going to start getting away with stuff. Um, which I think adds another really cool dimension to the magic system is there are people who use it well and there are people who don't people who use it for evil. Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible T-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's stop, and our book of the week is actually The Third Eye. So will you tell us about it? Absolutely. Um, This was actually the very first novel that I wrote, and I think I sweated blood and tears over it. Um, it's about a young girl, Tara, who is slowly, I mean, she is living in this village with her, um, with her father and her stepmother. And slowly, as the story progresses, there is a new healer in town. He has got three eyes and just about everyone's enamored with him. But she's the only one who can see behind that facade of his and realize that he's evil. And the story is about her journey in trying to find her grandfather, who's the only other person who's who's kind of strong, you could call him a Dumbledore kind of thing, who is strong enough to fight uh, Zarku and defeat him. But throughout this journey, what I try and do is take away the entire um, support system so that eventually Tara is just um, relying on herself and a little bit of the soft magic system based on the Indian mythology that I talked about earlier to try and defeat Zarko. It's a delightful book. Thank uh, you. I'm really enjoying it, though I will tell you, I did not expect it to be as much a horror book as it is. Um, <laughs> that's, not, that's not where I thought I was Brandon going. Brandon loves it. His parents yeah. do not. It is, uh, it is genuinely 
creepy in a lot of places in a really hey, delightful so I've way. I've horror. I, mm-hmm. I was just telling uh, yeah. Dan on the way here, mm-hmm. saying I'm delving back into horror. But mm-hmm. yeah, that that there are some very graphic, gruesome scenes, which I really enjoyed writing. And I often get teachers saying, what were you thinking? But then it's like the kids like it Mm -hmm. and there isn't anything else that shouldn't be in there. So let them enjoy it. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's ask you guys, um, favorite magic systems in books or films that you've experienced and kind of why? What made this magic system work? What made you enjoy the story? Well, at the risk of over-inflating Brandon's ego, um, it's now an inflatable elephant in the room. (laughs) The uh, I I love I love the Mistborn magic systems, but for two very specific reasons. First of all, they're essentially giant puzzle games, where here's all of the pieces. You know how these work. How are they going to solve the problem at the end of the book? And for me, reading any of the Mistborn novels is essentially just a a cool puzzle to solve. Okay, this guy can do, you know, here's in the Alloy of Law series. Here's the the girl who only has the one weird power that she doesn't think is of any use. She like slows time down or something. How is that going to be valuable? Because you know it is. Um, and I love deciphering those puzzles. They are slightly Asimov um, laws of robotics exactly. bo- stories mm-hmm. where you set up several laws and then you show they're not working or that there's a hole in them somewhere. What are we not understanding? Yeah. And then you kind of and, put it together. And at that's the not what every magic system has to do and right. shouldn't. There, there needs to be variety. But I like those for that reason. One of the others, though, and, and this is another one of the rules that I've kind of set for myself as I develop my own, is that magic should have a visual component to it. Um, I, I always used to try to make magic very mental, very cerebral, and I think a lot of aspiring fantasy writers do the same, but adding that visual element. And so again, back to Mistborn, you've got things as simple as being able to pull or push on metal, and you don't need a visual component, but you added the blue lines. And the blue lines bear so much weight in those stories and they serve such a powerful function, even though it's a very simple thing, because that gives us a sense of what it looks like and what it would feel like to do it and helps us understand what's going on just because of these dumb little blue lines. I love magic systems where when you start reading it, you both see why it would be so cool to have this magic and also are instantly worried and frightened about the implications (laughs) of it, right? Um, And a great example of that is our former professor Dave Wolverton's um, Rune Lord series in which um, you can take someone's strength and brand it onto yourself with a branding iron and that person loses their strength and you have it, you're twice as strong, but now you have this person that you need to take care of because if someone can get to them and kill them, you lose your magic strength and the social implications of that are just staggering. The moment you read it, you realize, oh man, this changes society in some really dark ways. Mm-hmm. And he goes there. He, and yeah, yeah, he follows through on the ramifications. Like every evil thing that you think as you're contemplating that, mm-hmm. he comes he deals with it at some point or another. And it's a really great example of how to, you know, show the effects of magic and how to show a society. Shaped by magic. How fantasy can, as Mahatab was saying, can take some our world element and in some ways by um, exaggerating it, Mm -hmm. um, really kind of bore down into that issue. Like with the Rune Lords, the fact that the strong become stronger and the weak 
become more and more subject to the strong is really well exemplified in that story to ways that make, I think, you start to realize this is kind of how our society works, and that's a, an ugly underbelly to it. Mm-hmm. Dead Beat by Jim Butcher. Um, the I, I suppose I'll just spoil it because that's what we're here <laughs> for, it. and it's an old book. Um, the name of the book uh, is both a reference to, you know, our detective, our wizard, Harry Dresden, who is kind of a deadbeat, and this idea that necromancy works best when you have a rhythm to which all of the dead are marching. And uh, I, I don't remember the exact details, but, uh, the, you know, the older the older the bones are, uh, the more powerful a thing you can raise. And we end up with a guy dressed like a one-man band drummer riding a Tyrannosaurus Rex skeleton through town. And it is surprising yet inevitable. Um, it fulfills all of the promises of, you know, of necromancy as he set it forth. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And I mean, you know, undead dinosaur. You can't go wrong with that. <laughs> Any other favorites I have one, which mm-hmm. is, I'd read it a few years ago, but um, The Dark is Rising by mm-hmm. Susan Cooper, um, and where Will Stanton on his 12th birthday realizes he's one of the old ones, and he has to collect these six symbols of, um, I think they're called the Champions of Light, which is, you know, they're circles made of wood and bronze and iron, fire, water, and then that, he has to collect it, it makes a powerful object, and then he repels the dark with it. But it's just so beautifully written. And, you know, it, it's kind of a coming of age, a fantasy. Uh, there's wild magic, high magic, but it's really, really good. The Dark is Rising, Susan Cooper. Um, I, was, I also wanted to mention, just to, to have like a really soft magic system in here, the Prydane Chronicles by Lloyd Alexander. I love the magic as he presents it there because there's maybe one or two rules, and I don't know anyone who could name them off the top of their heads, but it has a distinct flavor to it. Like there's no, we don't know what the rules are governing it, but we absolutely know what it feels like. And we absolutely know what it would be like to experience or confront the magic that we find in those books. And uh, I, I love the way he pulled that off. All right. So I've all got our homework for this week. Now, next week we're going to be talking about soft magic systems. What I would like to do is kind of, make you take some sort of soft magic system that you've read about or you've loved. Uh, the example we came up with was, is got Gandalf. Gandalf's very soft. We never know what Gandalf can do specifically. We just know he's awesome. Well, I want you to take a soft magic system and apply rules to it. Give Gandalf rules. Uh, take a soft magic system you have written and give it rules. Flip it on its head and see how the magic works differently if you explain exactly how it works and have it work according to those rules. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. 
Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storytellers' stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.